0: Today is June 1st, 2020, and protests are sweeping across our nation as we reel from the senseless death of George Floyd one week ago. Paul and I want to stop here and acknowledge the grieving in our nation, along with the systemic issues that need to be addressed. We also fully support the fight for change that comes in the wake of these tragically familiar situations. Right now we offer our condolences to the families of George Floyd, Breonna Taylor, Ahmaud Arbery, and any other victims of senseless death deprived of due process. Paul and I started this podcast to share people's stories, and as we interview guests, we will endeavor to expand our perspective of the forces that shape humanity, including what it's like to be black in America. Thank you for listening to our podcast, and we hope each of you is well and safe. Welcome to the podcast where we bring on remarkable people to tell their stories.
1: I'm Paul Gilman. I'm Daniel Lance. And this is Pod So One.
0: This is the story of the Middlebury Pranksters, an ultimate Frisbee team that left their home in Vermont's Wintry North on a quest for the 2019 Division III national title. If you've ever been to an ultimate Frisbee game and seen a team wearing pink tutus, tidy whities or generally the least amount of clothing possible, compulsively yelling the word kale as they handily defeat their opponents, chances are you've glimpsed the Pranksters in action. Giving us the rundown of the 2019 team captains, Alex Ford, Asher Lance, and Dylan Salzman, who share the ins and outs of their journey, including injuries, rivalries, game-saving plays, mid-tournament food poisoning, and above all, the hard work the team put in on and off the field. If you are new to the sport of Ultimate, don't worry. The rules of the game are explained as we go. So here are the Pranksters. Cool, well, let's get into it. Asher, Dylan, Forty, thank you so much for being on the podcast.
2: Yeah, thanks for having
0: us. really excited to be here. Why don't we start with like going through each of you one at a time? Uh, we'll go Forty, then Asher, then Dylan, and just give a brief introduction of uh, who you are, where you're from, and uh, how you got to Middlebury.
2: Yeah, so uh, I'm Alex Ford. Uh, it has an E at the end, and some people pronounce it Forty, and it, it turned into a nickname. Um, I'm from Bethesda, Maryland, and got to Middlebury, uh, and became uh, friends with uh, Dylan immediately, Um, got to know Asher a little bit later, and uh, the Middlebury Frisbee team was one of the main things I did for uh, my whole time at that school.
3: I'm Asher Lance, brother of Daniel Lance. I uh, played a little Frisbee in high school sort of pick up style stuff, not anything serious. And then came to Middlebury because I heard about it through my uncle and a college advisor um, and played a semester of rugby, didn't like it too much and switched to frisbee and liked it a lot.
4: Uh, And I'm Dylan, I'm from Denver, Colorado. Um, I played frisbee in high school pretty seriously. Um, And then, Knew I wanted to play frisbee in college, but I didn't know how big a part of my life it would be because I was doing a lot of other things in high school that diverted some of my attention. Um, I ended up at Middlebury because there were some kids from my high school that had gone to Middlebury previously, and I wanted to go to a small liberal arts school. And so I um, applied early decision and got in and joined the team. Didn't mesh with the team so well my first year, and then got to create something new with uh, with these guys.
0: Nice, so we have a pretty general audience and a lot of them might not know much about Ultimate. So what is Ultimate? Is it a real sport? Asher, could you handle that?
3: Yeah, sure, okay. So Ultimate is the name of the game. Frisbee is sort of a trademarked name for the actual disc that you use, but um, it's trademarked by a company and you're not really like supposed to say Frisbee, So. It's called Ultimate, but we kind of just call it Frisbee or Ultimate Frisbee. Um, It's a game with a Frisbee where the goal is to catch it in the end zone, like American football. And when you have the disc, you're not allowed to move. So the other players have to make cuts to get open for you. And the idea is to continuously throw the the disc down the field uh, until you get to the end zone. Originally, I did a little research. It was developed in like 1968. The exact origins aren't known exactly. I I think that it started at a high school, but it it definitely was born like in the counterculture movement, Uh, sort of in its young phase, it was raised by hippies. And uh, a lot of that sort of contributes to the the ethos of the sport. The most unique thing about Ultimate, I think, is that um, it's, even at the highest level, there's an emphasis on self-refereeing, so Players will make their own calls and an emphasis on like having good spirit and being honest about like whether you actually committed a foul or not. I think that combined with it's a fun, pretty easy to learn how to play uh, and like not very contact oriented sport. I think those two reasons are why it's growing uh, in popularity, uh, which it is definitely. USA Ultimate, which is the governing body, their memberships have tripled since 2003. So yeah, that's a little background.
0: Yeah. And and I would just add to that, that, uh, and you were getting into it, that it's very diverse. It's a very diverse sport. You can have mixed teams and you can have competition at the highest level with mixed teams. And then there's also diversity of age. Like you can have uh, people playing pickup games and club games like of all ages. It does take a toll on your body, but I've just noticed that it's a very accepting and a very tolerating sport and the culture that surrounds it. So uh, yeah. that's a great explanation. Uh, thanks for doing research, by the way. Sick stuff. So the story that, that you guys are all here to tell, I think begins, well, it begins a long time ago, but we're, we're going to start the story in uh, 2018 um, at, at Nationals. Uh, and so, Asher, can you take us through uh, Nationals? I don't even know where it was and, and how that tournament went. I think all three of you were there for that. So go ahead and tell us the story of, uh, of Nationals 2018. Sure.
3: Yeah. Um, so I think some important context is like leading up to that Nationals tournament. Our team wasn't so like in the fall previous to that. So Nationals was in the spring and in the fall previous to that, we didn't look too great as a team. Uh, we went to one tournament and went six and one, lost six times, one once, right? One and six.
2: One and six. Yeah. <laughs> and in Europe, though. I, so. Junior yeah. year abroad, like I might explain it. I don't know. <laughs> we didn't have some key players.
3: So we didn't have super high hopes for that season, uh, even though the USAU like ranking algorithm put us at like third in the nation, which you definitely shouldn't have. But ironically, we ended up getting third. Um, we, you know, worked hard and ended up like just winning games and doing well. Um, and so qualified for nationals for the first time in a few years. And then we got to go to Nationals, which was an amazing experience. Uh, we did well. So so I'll go I'll go through it day by day, I guess. Well, the first day was just pool play. Um, and we won our three games pretty handedly, 15-7 against North Park, uh, 15-4 against Puget Sound, and then 15-10 against John Brown. John Brown was, like, actually a pretty tough opponent. They just didn't have a lot of players. Um, so we had a pretty, like, pretty good first day. We were winning, feeling great. And by winning our pool, we qualified for the quarterfinals the next day. And uh, that was against Mary Washington. And they're, historically, we've had a pretty good rivalry with them. Um, we played them a few times, and uh, that year they had one guy, Zach Norbaum, uh, won the Donovan, which is an award for like the best player in Division Three Ultimate. And he was, he, was, he was good, but uh, we, we won 15-8, and it was, it, was a good, <laughs> it was a good time, it was a good game. <laughs> and then, uh, then we went to the semis, uh, and played against Air Force, and we ended up losing that game. And it, it was a tough game. I think sort of what happened is we went down early in the first half and weren't really able to recover. We had some like uncharacteristic turnovers, by a few of our handlers, and, like, I don't know, the guy I was guarding got six goals, and, like, you can't just you can't let that happen. Even though he's really good, it's like...
0: So each game is composed of two halves, and it's by points, not by time, right? And then can you also explain what a handler is and what a turnover is? Sorry, we're going really back to the basics here.
1: Yeah, it's all um, yeah. good, because mo- most folks don't know these rules.
0: Yeah, yeah right. So a, a
3: game of, of Ultimate, at least the version that we play, is... Predominantly, you're trying to get to a certain number of goals first. The games we were playing were either you get to 13 first or 15. And combined with that, there is a time cap. So if you get to like, I don't know, 70 minutes or something before anyone has reached uh, 13 or 15, then there will be like, there's certain rules about how you finish the game. Like you play one more point or something. And uh, every point starts by um, one team throwing it to the other. And then that other team's starting and they're starting on offense. And so they have an inherent advantage in the point um, because they have possession first, but if they throw it into the ground or another player on the other team, like gets a D or short for defense means like, like stopping the disc from getting to its intended receiver, then that's a turnover. Um, and then the other team has possession and that's their chance to try and score. Uh, Halftime is at if for a game to fifteen. Halftime's at eight. Um, it's not usually halfway through the game. It's just half of the points. Um,
0: and it's whichever team gets to eight points first.
3: Yes, right. It, once a team gets to eight points, then it's halftime.
1: How many cool. players on the field?
3: It's uh, seven on seven.
1: Gotcha. But- and there's there's no offsides. Sorry, go ahead.
4: Oh no! I'm sorry. I was just gonna say it's seven on seven, but most teams have around 20 players on their roster, mm-hmm. of which seven are on the field at a time. And there is offsides. Um, Asher mentioned at the beginning of each point, one team throws it to the other. You can't cross the front of the end zone before you throw it to the other team, basically.
3: But there isn't offsides in the sense, like in, in play, you can throw it any direction to any. Person on the field, like in soccer, like if the striker is behind the defense and he gets passed to, then that's an offsides. There's nothing like that. You can pass forward, backwards, left, right, wherever you want.
1: Gotcha. And with twenty players on the entire team, is that uh, like a, a seven guys play and then seven come in and sub kind of thing?
3: Yeah. Um, so generally, for more like serious teams, the 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 teams will be split more or less into a, an O-line, like offensive line, and D-line, defensive line. So usually, depending on what point it is, whether you're playing defense or offense, it'll be a different uh, seven people, more or less. But there's unlimited subs, and if you wanted to, you could play the same, same seven people every point. Um, but mostly teams will cycle through like 15 people, 15 to 16, because it's tiring. You do a lot of
1: running. <laughs> So there are seven guys on the team that are really good on offense. They're always going to be on the field when you're on offense kind of thing.
3: Yeah, pretty much. Um, they're on the field for points that start on offense. You can't sub on the fly. You can only sub during uh, between points. Um, gotcha. Yeah.
1: So every, everybody should be pretty well-rounded.
3: Yes. Yeah, everyone should know how to catch and throw and play good defense. Nice. All right, so, so talk us through uh, that
0: uh, Air Force game.
3: Yeah. Um, so uh, I don't know what level of detail you want. Uh.
1: <laughs> what well, well, we can say, Asher, we can start with the guy that scored six goals on you. How did that happen?
3: <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if I remember all six and he didn't score them all on me, but I think like four <laughs> of the six were on me or maybe five. Um, but basically, I mean, in a personal sense, this was a pretty monumental game for me because I, I I was a pretty confident defender. Uh, Like I was confident in my defensive abilities, but going into this game and going up against someone who knew how to cut well and was also tall and could jump high, it was uh, definitely a learning experience for me because a lot of defense is just putting yourself in the right place. It doesn't matter how fast you are or how good you are at jumping or whatever. Um, If you're not in the right place at the right time, you're not gonna play good defense. And so that was sort of like a harsh learning moment for me.
0: Did, did you guys have a um, – like any kind of history with Air Force bef- before this game or any kind of rivalry? Because you guys are far away from each other. Middlebury's in Vermont. Air Force is somewhere in Colorado.
3: I and Not to my knowledge have we played Air Force before. So we didn't really know the team at all. Cool.
1: Yeah, so going into the next season, and, and we're saying 2018, 2019, but uh, – it's a, the 2019 season was the next season, right? Yeah. So, uh, 40, tell us about, uh, transitioning from that season to the 2019 season. Tell us about some of the players, some of the, uh, personalities and how you guys came together because you became a, uh, a pretty powerful force apparently.
2: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So like we were saying, we ended up losing that air force game. Um, I think pretty handily, but, that was the first time in uh, Dylan's and Asher's and my careers that we had gone to nationals, so uh, it, that was like a big deal for us. And then to lose in the semifinals, um, like that was a pretty good performance. And we were sad. I remember sitting in a circle with our senior captains and sort of knowing that, you know, when when you're in an environment like nationals, you think maybe you're going to go all the way, and you can kind of get really you know excited about the vision. And so knowing that that had come like not come to fruition, I remember sort of the sadness there, but. We only lost three seniors, I think, from 2018 to 2019. And pretty quickly, we learned um, that we were going to have some strong first-year players coming in uh, with a lot of high school experience. But I think even more importantly than like, oh, what talent are we collecting, was sort of like, what are we doing culturally to make this team a great experience for people and sort of have practices and have... Um, sort of a plan for growth that would allow us to reach our potential. A D3 frisbee team, I think, is a really unique organism because you have a lot of people who school is their main career at that point. And uh, you have people at wildly different levels of, of ultimate experience. You have different personalities. And you're also a club that's spending time with one another. There's a men's team and a women's team. It, it, there are just sort of so many factors to. That, that will determine, I think, the reality of your season and uh, how the team is as an experience for everyone. So uh, I guess I, I can talk a little bit about what it felt like on a day-to-day basis. Uh, we came back to school in the fall, um, 20, 2018, fall of 2018. Um, Dylan and I both uh, graduated in spring of 2019. So like, this was the start of our senior year. Um, I think one semester behind us, so it was sort of of the start of his senior year, but the three of us were uh, the captains of the team and I think that we were really excited to like get back to a team with some of our best friends and uh, what had largely been a a really positive culture, but we wanted to make it even better and sort of have this collection of of a lot of very different players and a lot of very different people come together and, and reach its full potential. So one way to introduce sort of the personalities, I think, is to think of it grade by grade. Um, there were only a few seniors, uh, and we were, I love us, but uh, we we weren't in a way the meat of the team. There were uh, a lot of juniors, um, two STEM majors, uh, Edward and, and Aiden, two like the smartest, wackiest kids. Really important for kind of like keeping us, I think organized and like maybe uh they were really good forces for like making sure we didn't get too macho and annoying and then we also had in that same grade we had kai de lorenzo who's like he's just a bananas athlete but like not a traditional personality like definitely not that like strong jawline lacrosse player just like the furthest thing from it but like could jump over a building you know and like he brought i think like an unpredictable like wild energy and he was someone that we, we knew we would rely on on the field and he would teach us like a lot of things, but in, in terms of our, our game, and it's because he's a, just a brilliant player. Uh, but I think we had to sort of learn to like work with his energy. Zach Levitt, also in that grade was just like much less of a wild card than Kai, I think just sort of a very steady personality and a very steady player. Sophomores, we had, uh, that grade was tremendous. Like they came in in their first year and, and sort of built really tight friendships with each other became really like enmeshed in the culture of the team. And they were some of our, like people who you would know would be at hangouts and, and parties and kind of like being the the lifeblood of like what it was to be on our team. And a bunch of them were very talented and very competitive. And I think one of the things that I think of with a lot of those guys is how to make the team fun for them. It was like, they they're having sort of a vision of like what they get out of this, this frisbee experience. And like, how can we make it fun for them? How can, how can we make practice have their right blend of sort of fun and also like letting them shine on the field. A few guys to, I guess, shout out there is Van Lunsgard is just one of the funnest and like sweetest people I've ever been around. And he, he and I, I think are similar in that we went from like, not that useful as players to like pretty useful. And uh, like that, I, I really admired his transition like to build up his athleticism and like build up his game. Um, and that, that was important. I think as someone who's like personally the soul of the team, like putting in the work to also become like an important cog, like on the field is just like such an inspiring path to take. Kevin Strensky and Ian Hansen are both like super competitive guys, super strong athletes who we really needed. Then we had uh, first years come in and I think, they wanted to like feel us out and be like, oh, we heard this team's really fun. We know you were third in the nation last year. Uh, and we were like, oh, we know like you're pretty good. Like, but neither of us, like we didn't wanna like have preconceived notions. We kind of hoped like they wouldn't feel the need to just fit into everything we're doing. We wanted them to bring in like who they were as well. And I just think it was a team with a lot of different kinds of personalities. And like the key was to like what makes everyone shine on the field. And what makes everyone have a good experience, like a fun experience of being on this team.
0: That's awesome. So, and you mentioned that a lot of kids were at Middlebury, not necessarily to play Frisbee. Like some kids go to school for sports. They were there for school. You know, they were there to like get a degree and uh, for the pursuit of the, you know, the ivory tower. And that's part of what makes this D3 uh, organism so unique. So Dylan, having come into this, uh, this team and like having this collection of personalities and I kind of view you as like the strategical and the on the field leader guy of this team. And if, if I'm wrong, correct me there. But when, when you were, when you were trying to prepare the team for the 2019 season, uh, what was going through your head and how did you go about doing that?
4: Yeah. So a few things as, as background, um, First, like Asher said, we had a really successful 2018 season when we didn't really expect to. Right. So we were playing this expectations game, didn't think we would be very good and had this sort of like chip on our shoulders to work hard um, and like try to put together the pieces into something um, that could be really good. And we like succeeded in doing that. I was a captain that year also, um, and when I was thinking about like what sort of on-the-field strategies would be the best for us to like give us the best chance at winning games, I realized that that season, the 2018 season, we didn't have a lot of players with a lot of ultimate experience. We didn't have a lot of players with superb disc skills, so playing a technical offense that involved a lot of advanced and technical throws probably wasn't playing into our skill set. Right, we instead had a few players with good disc skills and a, a lot of players that were really good athletes, um, and so we decided to play a style of offense that gave those athletic players a lot of space in the middle of the field to beat their matchups one on one with their athletic prowess, so that our, our certain players that did have those disc skills could um, like throw deep shots to them and things like that. So that's what we did in twenty eighteen. 2019, like Alex mentioned, Forty mentioned, (laughs) we had graduated uh, just three seniors and we had added a couple of uh, really experienced and talented players, but also uh, uh, in addition to just those players, um, sort of everyone on our team had improved a little bit with the disc um, and there were also um, other players in the new first year class that um, had pretty high ultimate IQs already and could fit into roles that we needed them to fill. Um, And so uh, instead of continuing to do the same sort of offensive scheme that we had done the year before, where we just put athletes in the middle of the field and gave them space and let them, you know, run around, we played a more technical offense um, that involved more difficult throws, but was also a less high risk offense, um, because we now had players that could execute those types of throws, right? Which we didn't really have the year before. So we ran a different offensive system because we had the personnel that allowed us to run uh, that different offensive system. Um, so I think that was one of the, the big things that shifted between the, season, the 2018 season and the beginning of the 2019 season. We spent the fall and winter teaching skills and these new systems so that we could refine in the spring We wanted to focus on like what types of things were going wrong so that we could fix those by the time we got to our important tournaments, which we'll talk about later, I'm sure. Um, Our goal was just to put players in roles where they could excel so that nobody had to do more than they were comfortable with doing.
1: Hey, uh, Dylan, is there a coach in Ultimate or are captains the coaches?
4: So, uh, it depends on the team. Middlebury is pretty rural. Um, and there's not a lot of Frisbee expertise in the rural Vermont area. Um, so there's, there's no, there's nobody really in Middlebury that uh, is really like really knows enough about Frisbee to coach the team. Um, so we do not have a coach. The captains, um, are the coaches. Um, but a lot a lot of teams, I would say at this point, probably the majority of college Frisbee teams in the country do have
1: coaches. So l- let's talk about that a little bit. So it's coaching by committee, or did uh, one of you step up and play the primary role of coach?
4: Yeah, um, I had the most experience playing Frisbee. Um, I, like I mentioned, played in high school. I had also played on an, an adult club team over the summer where I learned a lot about the sport and a lot about how Really good players think about the sport. Um, so I was sort of, I was more or less coaching the team in 2018. I sort of resumed that role in 2019. I actually hurt myself in January of 2019 and wasn't healthy again until like May. Um, so I missed the majority of the season um, and spent it on the sideline acting as a de facto coach, which wasn't a role that I really wanted to fill. I wanted to be playing. So I, at times, resented playing the coach role, but it, you know, I can't, I can't look back at that and resent the time that we spent there, um, and it also um, allowed us to, allowed me to be on the sideline and, like, see things and correct things, um, so I guess in answer to your question, it, it ended up being mostly me that was doing the coaching.
1: And it sounds like your injury may have actually made you guys a better team, potentially. <laughs> Uh, and I, mean, I mean that as a compliment Dylan
4: yeah i I'll take that i I'm not sure it's possible, yeah, I'm not sure. I wish I could have played
0: yeah, <laughs> I mean, just being on a frisbee team uh, uh, what's involved in terms of uh, like time commitment and travel commitment, you know, love of the game aside, you have to basically travel all the way all over the northeast and and nationals is actually all the way down in, in college station. And you guys came all the way as far south as uh, North Carolina, South Carolina. There's a lot of traveling involved, and it's just the most frustrating thing. I I can't imagine it, but it would be to to have to travel to a tournament and not be able to play and sit through all these games and and not be able to play and and just coach. And I I remember watching Dylan in Richmond and in Virginia Beach playing that coach role and uh, not playing on the field. And. It was really, it's just an admirable thing, you know, because it shows that his love for the team and his love for the sport was beyond just being able to play. Like, it didn't go anywhere just because he was hurt, um, and he wasn't at home crying about it. So I thought it was so cool, and I really sympathize with it being it being difficult. Yeah, I appreciate that.
4: It was definitely difficult. Um, yeah, I
0: am super,
4: super glad that I was able to end up playing at National's. Yeah. Was that
1: the first uh, tournament you played in that year?
4: It was, yeah. My doctor cleared me to play um, the Wednesday before nationals. So I went to practice on Wednesday and then flew to Texas on Friday and then played on Saturday.
1: So it all worked out.
2: <laughs> yeah, I guess so. I <laughs> was a little out of shape for like an hour. <laughs> that first hour at Dylan being back was a little, a little messy.
1: So uh, your team name is uh, the Pranksters right? Yes. So, so 40, tell us where that name comes from and tell us about, uh, the team culture.
2: Oh, the origin story of the name. Uh, I think there's something called like the Merry Prankster pranksters, maybe Asher or Dylan. Do you want, do you know the historic name origin? Can you save me? Um, there's a book, um, by
4: Tom Cooley called electric Kool-Aid acid test, electric Kool-Aid acid test. It tells the story of Ken Kesey and his band of merry pranksters who drive around the country in a bus, uh, like doing acid and all sorts of crazy drugs. Um, And like Asher mentioned, Ultimate was sort of born out of this counterculture movement. Um, And so the people at Middlebury who um, like read this book and thought it was great and loved the counterculture aspects of it decided to name themselves after the, psychedelic hippies that drove around in the in the rainbow bus in uh, in Tom Cooley's book
2: so definitely like the origins uh were in line with that counterculture's thinking and I wasn't around obviously back then but uh I was around like for my first year at Middlebury uh, where I started the fall of 2015 and the culture of frisbee at Middlebury or like prankster culture I think it's one of the more like complex and fraught things that I've ever been a part of. And it. it, I think that you have to, like there are a lot of different layers to it and it matters to a lot of people. And there are a lot of different perspectives on it. And I think something to to start with, so we were talking about uh, Dylan being injured um, like for our spring 2019 season. And one of those tournaments that he was sort of coaching, he was wearing this funny blazer jacket that was like, shiny and had like a candy cane pattern on it and he was like roaming the sidelines like shouting and stuff and like dancing uh we do a lot of dancing and like that is is a manifestation i think of our sense of fun that we had in spring 2019 but that was like the distillation of years and many many different people's perspectives on kind of like what is fun and what is it to be a prankster i know that early on in my time at middlebury it seemed like the culture of frisbee was um, a lot a lot about having fun and sort of having fun as opposed to winning or even as opposed to trying hard. Um, and I think that a lot of that is really reasonable. I think there's a lot in, in sports that pushes some people away because it's hyper competitive, hyper masculine, um, puts undue pressure on people, so, sort of all these things. I don't know, like there are, there are sort of reasons to question, I think, anything about a community and a culture. But I know that the culture when I got to Middlebury was one of somewhat anti-competitiveness. And uh, it seemed like there was more enthusiasm about things like drinking and and partying. And there was a lot of talk of love and community, but it was a community that sort of a lot of people in it refused to be united by the on the field product. They wanted to be united by everything besides that. And I think that for a lot of people who started joining the Pranksters, me, Dylan, uh, Asher, a bunch of our teammates. Um, as more and more people joined, I think we started to feel like, wow, there's a lot of potential for joy and love like on the field and people were falling in love with this sport or like Dylan, they'd been in love with the sport and sort of, uh, you know, seeing the sport not taking center stage was kind of upsetting. And so it was kind of a rickety, um, complicated journey towards centering the sport at the, at the center of our culture. I think a, a huge pillar of our culture both before it changed and after it changed has been inclusivity. The idea of like, we want to be in a diverse community. We want to be in an extremely tolerant community and one that people feel happy to join and and, and welcome in. And that can be sort of simple things like we want everyone to come to our parties, like no matter who you are on campus. Um, I think that early in my time um, that sort of manifested as, we have the littest parties, like, come trash a house with the Frisbee team, like, they all get naked, like, and that, again, for some of us was, like, I don't know if that's who we are, like, and so it, there was a lot of, um, dressing in funny clothing, like, uh, there was a huge culture of on the field wearing silly clothing over, um, regular athletic clothing or or jerseys, and again, that's sort of a counterculture thing, but it's sort of also a self-expression thing. Uh, there's a lot of cross-dressing even on the field, sort of to be funny, to mess with other teams, or maybe because it's who you are and, and it's what how you want to present. Um, and I think that as uh, more and more people on the team in more and more prominent roles started to feel like a lot of the joy we get out of this is the play, I think it it didn't make sense to feel like the only acceptable culture was one where everyone wore goofy clothing, because it was like, we, we're having some cognitive dissonance here, you know, what do we want, like, if we're going to be yelling about how well we want to do, let's sort of have that be cohesive with who we are. And, and so by the time we get to 2019, I think that we tried really hard in, in leadership, I think, to strike a balance, but I think everyone throughout the team they're as much the architects of the culture as like anyone at the top is. And I think people would have their, like some people would say we went too far. Some people would say not far enough. Um, but largely, I think we had a team where some people were wearing like funny skirts and some people um, were just like being ridiculous all the time and like making jokes and like having dances and stuff. But really, I think centering what we're building as, as a team in this sport. And I, so I think we reached a pretty good manifestation of prankster culture. But it, uh, it was a long journey, and it's going to continue, I think, every as long as this team exists.
0: I have a follow-up on that. How much of, of the prankster culture do you think um, is a Frisbee thing, uh, and how much of it is uniquely prankster? Like, how, how different are you guys from other teams? And I'm not going to bias that's, this that's question, a, but, yeah, go for it.
2: That's a, that's a great question. And so that's kind of key. Like, I'm coming at this, and I, I think all three of us, like, we've been very um, – in the Frisbee world for many years. And like, it's easy to forget. It's easy to sort of be in an echo chamber or just forget what it's like to not know anything about that pretty small community, honestly. Frisbee as a whole, I think, tries to be really inclusive and tries to be really goofy. And those are things that most, I think, Frisbee communities think of as like part of their lifeblood. Uh, I've never been on another college Frisbee team, so I'd I'd be curious what you you were getting at. But my guess, is Middlebury took the goofiness uh, further than almost any other team. And I think they took pride in being the goofiest team at a tournament. Like they wanted their outfits to be the most eye-catching. They wanted, they wanted their acceptance of, of people to be the most radical. And which I, is an amazing goal, but I think it wasn't, it didn't, always, it manifested, I think, in what people said and, and what, they, what they said was important to them, but it, it wasn't actually always achieved. But I, I do think they leaned on those pillars of like we love everyone and we want everyone to be in this community, and we have a ton of fun and we dress weird. I think they committed to this perhaps more uh, than than other teams but mm-hmm. I'd, I'd love for anyone to chime in
0: yeah i was I was just referring to because i I played on a on the B team in college and I've seen a lot of frisbee teams. I've gone to tournaments, and no team has ever come close to to being like uh, the Middlebury pranksters. y'all are just completely like on another level of ridiculousness, your, your chants that you do on the sidelines, the things that you yell out. And what's so cool about it is it's not, I know that there's a very conscious and calculated uh, absence of, of negativity and you guys would always keep things positive and and try to always keep things um, inclusive. And so it's just like watching your team. It's just an amazing thing. I don't know if the other two, if the other two of you guys want to chime in on that.
3: Um, Yeah. I, I, (laughs) I, that's part of the, what drew me to the team, is the willingness to be like silly and competitive at the same time. It's Those are sometimes mutually, mutually exclusive, uh, and so it's, it's sort of a difficult thing to balance. Um, I, I do sort of, you know, love the image of us wearing crazy clothing and, or like a skirt, and also being the best team at a tournament. That combination, I I think is, Hilarious in my, in my in my mind, but I think that in the past two years, especially, we've made decisions to lean more towards the winning rather than being goofy side. And uh, I mean, as Alex said very eloquently, I, I think that uh, there's arguments for that being for the best.
4: I um, just have a couple of things to add, which is on um, along the lines of Ale- what Alex said about. Um, the pranksters like wanting to be the most like radically inclusive and fun having team and like pushing in that direction. When I showed up at Middlebury um, and like wanted to play Frisbee, it was seen as like, oh, like if you don't wear a skirt when you play or like don't wear whatever like dress or tutu, then like you're not a Frisbee player. Right. So like it extended to the point of like sort of rejecting the actual Frisbee part in favor of like doing this goofy stuff. And so um, I was one of the driving forces towards like trying to like be a m- more of a sports team. Um, and I think that the way that that manifested, a good example of that, our senior, like our senior year in 2019, is that we had jerseys and like wanted to like win nationals and do this pretty ambitious stuff, right? Pretty, pretty difficult and ambitious frisbee stuff. Um, and then like one of our better cutters wore a kevin stransky who alex mentioned earlier wore a diaper like over his shorts like this horrible stained like tidy whitey thing it
3: wasn't a diaper it was tidy whitey. It was, okay <laughs> undies um it was undies. and
4: he, he he like would cook like wearing these undies over his shorts and like that is i agree with asher like that's sweet right like, that's super funny and like the team loved it it became a meme um, but it's only funny so long as like the team is having fun with it and it's not like fun for me, at least it's not fun anymore. If you like go to a tournament and like everyone's wearing tidy whiteys and then you lose all your games, right? Cause like, what are you doing at the tournament? Why are you like spending the money to play this sport? And like, like you said earlier, Daniel, like traveling all this way and doing all this stuff, um, and putting in all this time. So, you know, there needs to be a balance. Um, and it's difficult to, it's a difficult balance to strike, like Alex said. Um, but I personally was pretty happy with the way that it worked out um, in our junior and senior years.
0: Yeah, I mean, I, I, I would say the balance got struck in 2019. Go ahead, Paul.
1: As you say, so in, uh, I'm not trying to skip ahead to Nationals, but were you wearing just standard uniforms at Nationals? Or were you being somewhat goofy?
4: Yeah, I'll, I'll start with this one. You guys obviously can chime in if you want. Um, nationals is a bit different than other tournaments because USA ultimate the organization that like hosts nationals and puts it on um, cares a lot more about the product that they're presenting right they, like have live streams and like they're they're videographers and photographers and stuff like that and so if people are wearing like crazy stuff and like not looking at least semi-legit it makes them look kind of bad um, and so we at Nationals in 2018, we got yelled at by the USA Ultimate people for doing, like, pseudo-sexual cheers um, and also for also for wearing crazy stuff. Um, yes, and stripping down. And stripping down, yeah. Yeah. Which is, like, part of just, like, what we would do to, like, stay light and stay positive, like Daniel was talking about earlier. So the way it ends up working out is that in the games at Nationals that aren't being streamed, right, they're not online, they're not being videotaped, whatever – the USA Ultimate people don't care so much. You can, like, wear your your uniform and then put on your tidy whities over it or, like, whatever, right? Like, do what you want to do. But then when you're in a big game where people are watching, USA Ultimate will crack down and, like, make sure that you're all wearing your uniforms and stuff like
1: that. Gotcha. Really good answer there. Uh, So was uh, Middlebury, as a school, really supportive of your team or was everything bootstrapped?
2: Uh, I, I can give this a shot. So we... Throughout our time at Middlebury, like there were um, a number of things that that we never would have been able to do without them. uh, In that, everywhere we practiced was like on campus, and we were lucky to have access to really good athletic spaces um, and stuff. And um, yeah, like in general, we're in an extremely privileged position to be students at like a college with a really nice campus and, and a lot of resources. Um, But in terms of sort of Frisbee leadership, trying to get the team where they wanted it to be like uh, in a few categories, like attending faraway tournaments um, and sort of providing financial aid to players, perhaps for things like lodging or transportation. Um, Middlebury didn't put us in a place where we, were as financially supported as we would have wanted it to be. Um, and uh, I think the, probably our other main gripe would be, it, it was never as easy for us to practice it as we would have liked. Um, especially Middlebury's like in Vermont, it gets really cold. Um, we're playing a field sport where, uh, you know, grass is the best, but if it's covered in snow, it's not an option. So uh, we had a really nice indoor turf facility, but we were pretty low on the, pecking order of who would get that facility. And it, it just made it hard to plan ahead. Um, and, and there were ways in which um, we didn't feel super respected because I think the system treated us as, as well, well below varsity teams. And then the varsity teams treated us as well below varsity teams. And even among club teams, we felt we were one of the most competitive, most focused, most successful. Um, and we didn't always have the privileges other club teams had. Uh, and I think. Uh, it's easy to develop a persecution complex when, which we did a little bit at times when we were dealing with um, obstacles, but truly like we, we were really lucky, like a lot of things worked out. Um, But I think that we were not thrilled with uh, I think the support that that we received on balance in the four years.
1: Yeah. Tough to maintain a nationally competitive team when uh, there's a lot of funding that's coming from, the players are from other sources besides the school. Uh, Dylan, do you think the uh, ultimate will become an NCAA-sanctioned sport someday? Um,
4: hard to say. Um, somewhere down the line, probably. I would, I would like to think that the NFL and football will slowly start to die out as people realize how dangerous it is and um, how much of like a – in, in my view, uh, like exploitation of low income, largely minority communities. Um, and that, that might leave some room for a sport like ultimate to grow to like fill a void. Um, that's probably wishful thinking, definitely wishful thinking in the short term. I think that, you know, USA ultimate is working on, moving the sport into sort of established and respected channels of athleticism. Um, like they're trying to get it in the Olympics and they are trying to, you know, make deals with ESPN so that the sport becomes more visible. It's on your TV in the living room. When you flip it on, you know, maybe you watch it for 30 minutes, you learn a little bit like that's their, that's their idea for how to grow the sport. Um, I, th- I think that if it continues to grow, like Asher said, it has been, it's possible that it could end up as an NCAA sport someday. Um, but I think that day is, is, is pretty far down the road.
3: There's also like uh, a logistical issue with like the governing body right now is USA ultimate and they have their whole own thing going with their own memberships. And the, I think the um, integrating that governing body into NCAA might be tricky.
4: I, my guess would be that they, the NCAA, would just create their own thing, and it would be separate from the USA Ultimate. Sort of similar, for, similar to how like, you know, there's a US soccer organization, which is totally separate from the from like NCAA soccer. Mm. It would just it would be divided in that way. Mm. But you're right that USA Ultimate has like a monopoly on frisbee that's played in the U.S. right now, right. or a near monopoly, um, mm. and that's some major things would have to change.
0: Cool. So. Let's move on uh, to um, – and, and I put I put sectionals and regionals down as big moments in, in your 2019 season. Uh, we don't have to actually just stick to, to those two. If you guys feel that there are other team-defining moments dr- throughout the 2019 season, please let me know. Um, but food poisoning. You know, what's going on? A lot of
2: people got food poisoning. That is immediately oh. the story that I want to share. All right, dude. <laughs> Let's hear it. Well, so regular seasons have ups and downs and ours had a lot of ups on the field. We won a lot of our games. We were we were pretty talented like I said, but uh one of the real downs was we were in North Carolina. It was March. I think we were playing a key regular season tournament and the first day of the tournament uh had had wound down. Um I we probably won all our games. Uh, and we were riding high going into the second day of the tournament ready to bolster our regular season record we were all staying packed into a a teammates uh we we were mostly packed into this this one house at a teammates aunt's house uh really generous to host us uh she had no idea how generous um because i think that uh (laughs) in the evening um one player started getting some gastric issues and then two players and then three players and uh, from my perspective, so, so my dad had come to the tournament to support. And so I was staying in a hotel room with him. Uh, I didn't hear much um, about sort of the, the brewing issues. Uh, I just showed up to the field the next day um, for, you know, ready to play some games early morning. I'm walking onto the field and I can't find my teammates. Uh, and I was already running a bit late. So I was like, why is everyone running late? So I think I, I called uh, Asher or Dylan or, or someone and, and they were like, yeah, like we're not there um there's a problem and i thought they were messing with me i was like this is a weird joke uh but then it turned out that like 10 or 12 guys had just gotten completely dis- like completely knocked out from gastric issues they they just people were like devastated like one person needed to stay back at the house couldn't even like attend the tournament as an injured player like <laughs> we were just completely flattened and i think we played all of sunday with like nine players or something uh, and i th- i think Dylan was it you or someone was it like sitting in a chair on the sideline like it like this this fit 20 year old man like athletic 12 hours ago just like sitting like couldn't move like needed to be in the shade uh and it's stuff like that you laugh about um that I think it's like that really brought us together uh it was only the third craziest thing that happened that weekend because like our rental car broke down and our flights all got canceled and like it's pretty awesome to go through it together like pretty funny so it's not, you know, not I, too mad about it but
0: I, I'm trying to remember who that who that guy was on the sideline I know who you were talking about because I'm pretty sure that I was there um and I, I, it was maybe Ian or somebody um I mean, it might have been D- Danny Grubbs Donovan I don't I think oh
4: maybe Danny Danny no. didn't make it to the field no he didn't make
0: it to the field. <laughs> I think it was I think it was Bjar that was yeah. knocked out in B-Jar. the yeah. first year yeah, yeah. <laughs> shout out to Bjar um yeah that was like literally hilarious but you guys did okay i i recall you actually doing pretty well that sunday
3: yeah well oh that sunday when we had like what nine players we yeah we won all our games but we weren't hey. playing
1: yeah
4: i mean we weren't playing the most like uh, aggressive competition um uh Funny aside from that weekend, sorry, that that Sunday before you go on and tell the story you're about to tell, I remember we were playing with like eight or nine players. We were beating this team, like Xavier or something. We were beating them like, I don't know, like 10 to four or something like that, like beating them quite handily. And they scored a goal and one of their players ran onto the field yelling, it's too easy. And his coach, his coach, I was standing right there, and his coach looked at him and was like, we're losing 10 to 5. Like, you can't get stuff like that. You can't do that. That sort of, that sort of expresses how that weekend went for us.
0: <laughs> yeah, that's definitely something that I, I saw in teams when they play against you is they see that you have this, like, unstoppable energy and spirit, and it, it really makes them mad, especially when you're beating them. They're like, these guys are better than us on the field and they're much better than us on the sideline. And so they would have these, uh, outbursts of like reactionary anger, or they would try to have a lot of energy on, on their team and try to like r- ratchet it up kind of artificially, just, just to kind of compensate for the fact that they were being completely out, outdone. Um, that was always fun to watch.
3: Yeah. I think that, uh, that's part of the uh, winning the mental game. I think our, 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 our spirit, um, is important for like, uh, winning on and off the field um that that tournament actually there was a game uh we played on luckily on saturday night uh not before all the, the sickness hit we played against air force at that tournament it was in north carolina and we flew down and that was the first time uh, for us seeing air force since the semifinals uh the year previous um and so it was, it was a big game it was filmed um so you know, there were nerves going into it. Um, And I I think it was the first game of the season where we were playing like a really solid opponent um, and testing our, you know, like all the training we had put in thus far and all the, like the systems that we were developing. And I remember it being a pretty close game most of the time, but we played really well. We made it to, so in in Ultimate, when um, both teams are, uh, you know, one away from winning, it was a game to 14 and we were both at 13. And that that's called universe point because whoever wins, uh, whoever gets the point uh, wins the game. So it's like the, you know, it's the universal point. Um, so we made it to universe point and uh, had a slick, easy O point, right? No, it was it you, an O
4: point. It was in you heated your ankle. Yeah, 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 and well- it was, a, it was an O
3: point. It was an O point, yeah. yeah. And we had like, it was like three passes, Leo threw deep to me. I caught it, landed on like a dude's leg, and twisted my ankle pretty badly. But we won the game, Um, and that was a so that was a real like motivation booster for the team. Like we felt confident ourselves after that. I mean, it's weird how one point going either way. Like if we had lost that game, I feel like we would have felt a lot differently about it, even though the the difference would not have been as much. Yeah, I twisted my ankle on the last point, but. well I guess funny story like it wasn't that bad I I twisted my ankle I didn't play for like two weeks but there's a reporter for Ulti World which is like a ultimate frisbee reporting organization and I think that he asked Dylan what injury I had and Dylan told him that I ruptured my achilles (laughs) and they put that in the article and so the entirety of division three ultimate thought that I had a completely ruptured Achilles and was out this season. Um, and I, even, even up till Nationals, people were coming up to me being like, whoa, like,
0: you must have healed, like, really quick. <laughs> you're, 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 like, running around. So. And it's just such a funny image of, like, of Dylan talking to a reporter and saying, you know, full seriousness, yeah, he ruptured his Achilles, unfortunately, and not even cracking, you know. Like, I, I love that you guys have that kind of humor on your team. Another
4: example that I wanted to give of that type of thing, Daniel, um, was that in the Air Force game that uh, Asher is talking about, one of our freshmen um, caught the disc outside of the end zone, right outside, but he thought he was in the end zone. He thought he had scored. So he spiked the disc. um, So the disc hit the ground, and it ended up being a turnover, even though he thought he had scored, which is a huge blunder, a huge gaffe, right? Um, and it g- basically gave Air Force a free point that we should have scored. Um, and I remember an Ulti World reporter emailing me and asking for the name of the freshman so that they could mention him in the, in the recap article that they were writing. And I naturally didn't wanna expose this poor kid for the mistake that he had made the first year. He was a, fr- a first year student. Um, and so I uh, emailed the reporter back telling him that the student's name was Hugh Jass, um, which uh, actually made it into the first round of the article. He, he wrote in the article that Hugh Jass <laughs> caught it outside of the end zone and, and spiked it prematurely. Um, and then he sent his version of the article to his editor, and his editor caught it, caught the mistake, <laughs> and emailed me back and was like, come on, man, like, you gotta give me something to work with here. Um, and I I, ne- I never gave him the name of the freshman they ended up having to guess and they guessed incorrectly but that's another example of joking around like that with
0: with the media I love that being protective too exactly. um so t- in order to get to uh nationals which is sort of like the championship across you know the whole nation uh there are these two other tournaments that uh, Frisbee teams have to go through in the season. I don't know if there's an analog to this in other sports, but there's sectionals, which is like a really, a pretty local tournament. Uh, Then there's regionals where, you know, it expands. And then if you do well enough in both of those, you have to get to nationals. So um, starting with um, sectionals, uh, Asher, was there like, do you want to talk a little bit about um, your sectionals for 2019 and anything memorable from that tournament? And how did you guys do?
3: Um, yeah, sure. Um, it was kind of a a weird tournament. So yeah, like you said, sectionals is a localized tournament where our section is Northern New England. So pretty specific region of the country. Um, and, um, it's not usually a very competitive tournament because you're just trying to qualify for regionals. Um, and in this year, um, there were five teams competing um, and there are four bids to division three regionals and one to division one uh, regionals and so Dartmouth was the team at sectionals that wanted to go to division one re- uh, regionals um, and they and to do so they had to place in the top two of the five teams and if they didn't place in the top two then they would take a bid to division three regionals from one of the other um, teams the 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 team the other team that did the worst and um and so uh basically um if Dartmouth got first or second all the other all the rest of the teams would make it to regionals so it wasn't a very competitive tournament um the most memorable part of that tournament was it was going to be in uh Bates I think in Maine but it got snowed out and there's there's just this long like email chain of Dylan aggressively like making sure that it got hosted at Middlebury instead of anywhere else.
4: <laughs> uh, which- I, I I bullied the regional coordinator into letting it happen at Middlebury. I sent a like six bullet point email. One of the poor Bates kids sent an email. It was like. We would really like to have it at Bates. It's a six-hour drive, um, and we've had to drive to Dartmouth both of the last couple of years, and I sent, like, a six-bullet-point email, like, explaining why it needed to be at Middlebury, um, and then it was at Middlebury.
3: <laughs> <laughs> I, I love it.
4: I, well, I think a little
3: karma caught up with this, though, because it was a really rainy and cold day. Uh, it was a one-day tournament, so that, that sort of put a damper on our spirits, but it was nice to have a home tournament.
1: We
2: had some of our some of our friends come out, uh, but they were all huddled in like rain jackets and uh, umbrellas and stuff. It was so miserable. Um, My phone actually broke that day. Um, I had it in my athletic bag, uh, like under a rain jacket. Thought it was like waterproof, and it it broke. Like it was done. Uh, (laughs) That was the kind of day it was. So, how did you
0: guys do um, in in like the in the actual rankings? (laughs) So we got so we got second overall we won our first three games
3: against the uh, d3 teams that were there and then our last game was against uh dartmouth uh and that was a weird game it was cold and rainy which really does affects the game of ultimate if your hands are cold it's hard to catch it's hard to throw um and so we were we were playing sloppy and uh Dylan was injured at that point, of course. And then I also had a weird breathing issue earlier in the day due to the cold, I think. And I've never had it since. I don't exactly know, but I was out. Um, and so um, we had already qualified for regionals. I, d- I wouldn't say we were trying our hardest in the game and we lost to Dartmouth like 13-10. It's kind of a bummer because we like beating Dartmouth. But uh, overall, we were happy with how we did and we got through it
2: basically, yeah.
0: While we're in the region, are there any other schools that um, you want to give honorable mention to for rivalries or schools that you particularly like beating?
2: (laughs) I think talking about that with regionals could be a a good fit because a couple of them come up.
1: Okay. Talk about regionals, yeah.
2: So, uh, second round of the playoffs, regionals, uh, much more like competitive tournament. And like for a team at our level, I think it was really nerve wracking because we like, We knew we had the ability to make nationals, um, but regionals is just like, that is really the gauntlet. Like that's where we expected to, like our season would really be tested. Regionals were held two weeks after sectionals uh, at Bryant University in Rhode Island. Bryant has been one of our big rivals um, for the four years. uh, I was on the Pranksters. Uh, They, I think are like a business-oriented undergrad school. and their Frisbee team is – it's always, like, got some pretty big dudes, pretty athletic dudes, and, like, they're pretty aggressive. And they don't take well to our goofiness. And we rarely beat them uh, in, in our first three years. I I think my first two years, we never beat them. And then maybe it was more even – wait, what? Dylan's telling me I'm wrong, but, like, they <laughs> they had our number more or less – yeah, no, I'm a, they, go, on, they, go on go go
4: ahead I'm shaking my head no because you're right that they never beat us or we never beat them we never yeah. beat them i meant to say
3: and and the first two years it was like consistently was a like a, a a blowout they would just win like by like 10 points yeah
2: yeah yeah so they like i think to a degree we were intimidated by them at, at least some of us were um because it was the most athletic team we faced on a regular basis they had a very unique playing style they would surround the thrower with a zone defense that made it very hard to see openings and made it very hard to run your regular offense and if it were windy and uh like asher said how uh the rain and and cold can affect you like any sort of adverse conditions plus a bunch of like tall lacrosse player looking guys like in your face like that's that's a pretty intimidating environment i think for to try to run like a technical offense so we were uh 2019 you know we we had our guns sort of like, we were as sort of well-stocked as we could be. We were very confident. Um, we came into regionals. We'll, we'll get to Bryant at the end. But uh, we came into regionals um, at Bryant's. So like, they, they were hosting. And uh, the first game was against Bentley University. Um, that's a team we've played uh, at regionals before. Um, if, if you think about it, everyone who made regionals, like, did well or fine at, at sectionals. Um, and so, like, these teams are going to be, like, a step up. Bentley, we beat pretty handily, but I, I think something about our headspace going into regionals was you never quite know what you're going to get because you haven't necessarily played all your in-region competition yet. And we know there are a lot of teams around the same level. Like most of the teams hanging around New England are are all pretty solid and can sometimes get a step above solid. So like you never know sort of how hard it will be. Um, but Bentley, we we beat uh, by quite a bit, and I think that. Was a good reminder like okay th- this is like a pretty strong like new england team like we it's going to be one of these regionals dog fights but like we're letting our talent shine and and, and our hard work shine and, and we beat them um another huge regional storyline was uh this sophomore at the time ian hansen had been injured for a while and he he's a really similar player to dylan they're both kind of short really quick uh really important for like getting an offense going um, both really competitive. And so we didn't have Dylan back yet, but we did have Ian, which was uh, really nice. And I think he really was had been itching to get back healthy again. And like that competitiveness really shone. And so in our next game was against Williams, another big rival of ours. Uh, I think it's because we're so middle brain Williams are like two hours from each other. We're both uh, these liberal arts schools that are often like compared to each other. And I think we have very similar people at our schools um, and on our Frisbee team. So I think uh, we just saw each other as foils a lot and we always played these close games. Like we always, I think we always thought they were closer than they needed to be. Like we always felt like we, we would, you know, uh, pull away if we didn't just mess up, but we always messed up just enough. Uh, Mm -hmm. And those games were just like, yeah, go ahead, Dylan. We also
4: always won
2: (laughs) is the important thing. Yeah. (laughs) That's a great point. Yeah, we, we always won, but not enough to make it feel like we always crushed them, you know, like they kept us on our toes a little bit. So uh, we get into this game, game two of regionals. Um, I think if we win this game, it puts us in a great position to make nationals. Uh, and I think a few points in, we were like, God damn it, another Williams type game, like this is not as easy as it should be. Um, and so we were kind of going back and forth. Um, the only big plays that I remember were Ian coming out and getting at least one amazing block. And I was like, oh, right. Like, we've been missing this kid. Like, it's great. He's healthy. Um, but I'm sure that uh, there were other memorable plays, and I'm sure our spirit was high. Um, and we ended up coming out on top of that game, like, 13-10-ish. Um, that felt really good. Um, our next game was against Bowdoin, uh, another school that we we have a lot in common with. Um, they're in Maine. They're pretty pretty close to us. Um, and their team, their their team name is Stoned Clown, which I think speaks to their sort of particular brand of goofiness. Um, they were one of the few teams that I think tried to match our like absurdist energy, and they just did it in like a slightly different way. But like, it was always a treat to be around them because they would be saying like stuff just as goofy as what we were saying. Um, that one was also a little closer than we would have liked it to be. And we knew if we won that game, we would win our pool and we would clinch nationals, which was not the ultimate goal, but, like, would be a huge weight off our backs to know, okay, like, we're doing our plan, like, we're executing. I, I don't remember too many specifics of that game, but, like, they gave us a good fight. Um, hey, uh, Alex. Am I, sorry. am I struggling on a connectivity level? You were,
0: you were doing the accordion thing again. Um, the, quick, the quick things I got were that uh, – that last team gave you a, a good fight um, in the last day of uh, last game of day one, was it Bowdoin? And then you had a celebration because that means yeah, that yeah. you won your pool and, and that you were you had made it to nationals. But the tournament wasn't over yet. There was still bracket play to see who would actually rank in the in the tournament itself the next day.
2: For sure, for sure. So um, it was over. We knew we'd made nationals, um, but we still had one more game to play because the format of regionals that year was, if you won your pool, you went straight into the first place game, which was the regional final. And I think that in my time at Middlebury, we had never won, we, we had definitely never won the region. Um, because even 2018, when we made nationals, we were only like third in the region. Um, so I know that for me personally, I was like, okay, we made nationals, but tomorrow is this huge test. We're going to play Bryant in the regional final. We're going to get this monkey off our back. We have the most talented team we've had. And like, we were all just like jazzed to like go out and win the region. I think uh, showing up and playing Bryant, uh, I, I'm curious what their takes are on it. it was, uh, at, at once, it both cemented the rivalry and uh, changed it, I think, completely. It's a very unique game.
4: Yeah, um, I guess I'll start. Yeah, so like Alex mentioned, we had sort of like built up this Bryant game in our heads as like a big game that we wanted to win against a worthy opponent. And then we showed up our regular, you know, hour before the start of the game to warm up and get ready to play. Um, Bryant showed up uh, like 10 minutes, maybe five minutes before the start of the game, put on their cleats, threw the disc a couple times, and then like walked onto the field. So it's a little bit disconcerting to be warming up on an empty field, right? Your opponent isn't there. It feels like they're not like giving you the time of day. You don't know where they are. You don't know what's going on. Um, And then they showed up late and didn't seem like they were taking it seriously. And so I remember saying something before the game along the lines of like, listen, like if they're not going to give us the time of day, let's like prove that we deserve it. Um, Let's prove that like they need to take us seriously. Otherwise like they're going to lose and it's not going to be fun. And that is what happened in that game. Um, we won that game 15-2. to two. Um, What? It, uh, and it was like,
2: it, it was wild because for, I mean, for years, this had been our sort of Goliath of like, this is the team that's going to make you feel intimidated and really test your abilities. And we just like walked through that test. And like, I I was so proud that we won it 15-2 because they're a talented team. They're all athletic. Um, but because they weren't on their game and they weren't they didn't come ready to play like we were we were trying our best we were playing with high intensity and it should have been 15 to 2. like it could have easily been 15 to 8 or something but we did what we needed to do and I think that felt really good.
4: It also could very have easily been 15 to Um, 0. We learned I think part of the way through the game that once they realized they had also clinched nationals the day before and once they realized that that had happened they had had a party the night before, and ah, like uh, there was a concert, and they were all like hungover and like tired and didn't want didn't want to play, um, and like we were ready to play, and that's why the result of the game was what it was. Yeah. and that I think, I don't know. I'm curious to hear what you guys think about this, but I can see like freshman year, sophomore year, if a Middlebury team had been in that position, like might have like done the same thing Bryant did. Thoughts thoughts on that?
3: Yeah, I I think so. Um, I I don't know. I I think we sort of – my sophomore year, which was my first year of playing, um, we treated regionals pretty seriously. So maybe we would have done that.
2: Um, I think that um, if we made nationals uh, my sophomore year or if we had, like, clinched nationals junior year on day one – I, especially sophomore year, I could have seen some Saturday night drinking and celebrating happening, but I think it would have come from sort of a genuine emotion of like accomplishing the goal. Whereas Bryant had just won the national championship the year before. And so I don't think for them, it was a cathartic, like we made nationals, like let's celebrate. It was just like, uh, we like drinking on a Saturday night and we don't, Sunday doesn't matter. And like that made it really satisfying to beat him, I think.
0: So were they? Um, did they kind of like stop trying, and uh, at some point in the game, or were you just really outclassing them? And and do you think that they actually? You said that this either changed or cemented or both your rivalry. How much stock do you think that they put in this game where they got you know beaten fifteen to two?
2: So, uh, I think that they came into it being like, oh, like we don't we don't care, like we're here. Um, I I don't know those guys. Um. I don't know their motivations, but I think they kind of wanted to not care, and they wanted to put forward that they didn't care. Uh, We may have, they knew we might match up at nationals, they didn't want to try too hard and reveal too much, Um, but the most satisfying thing to me was watching them try to not care and just get mad, um, (laughs) because... They must have thought like, oh, we'll roll out there and maybe it'll be 15-10. But like, you can't just roll out there against like our 2019 team. Like it won't work. And that, that was, so they started to care more. And I said it cemented the rivalry because all the sort of personality traits that we had ascribed to that team, again, fair or not, like it's good to have rivals, I think. And like all the sort of douchiness that we had like established was their brand. It just came through in full force because of that. But then the on-field rivalry just flipped completely because we were like, oh, they're not in our class.
0: Mm, I see. So there's like a cultural uh, rivalry going on as well. Um, cool. So so you finished off regionals with a resounding victory over the last year's national champions, Bryant, mm-hmm. which sent you down to College Station, Texas for uh, nationals. And this is the big deal, Division Three. All the best teams in the nation are coming together to really see who's the best. Dylan, take us into Nationals. Yeah,
4: okay. Um, So um, first I wanna do a little stage setting. Um, So like you said, the 16 best teams in the country are at Nationals. Um, We entered Nationals as the number one overall seed. Um, Up until that point, I think we were something like 28 and three that year. We lost three games. We lost a game to South Carolina, we lost a game to Duke, and we lost a game to Dartmouth. All three of those were Division I teams, so we were undefeated 16 and 0 against Division Three competition. Um, so we had earned our number one seed. <clears throat> we were ranked, uh, I think, like 32nd in the country um, in all D1 and D3 teams. Um, so we were up there with some of the best D1 teams in the country and we were looking to prove that we had been we were going to be and had been the best D3 team. So one important thing to know is that there's only a 2 week gap between regionals and nationals. So the and you don't know if you qualify for nationals until regionals is over, right? So the logistics scramble after regionals to get your act together, get plane tickets bought, hotel rooms booked, Rental cars rented, coordinating like parents and families and food and everything um, of that sort has to happen in an instant. Um, And like uh, Alex mentioned before, we don't receive all that much um, financial or logistical support from the school. So a lot of that falls on us. Add to that that um, nationals falls over finals weekend. So kids have to like manage their work reschedule finals take finals in advance also go to practice and we the captains have to do all that and like buy 24 plane tickets and uh like rent all these cars you know all that sort of stuff so it's a really chaotic time and there's a lot going on outside of just the frisbee right there's a lot going on off field as well um so we got down to college station um, and had a nice dinner at the lance airbnb courtesy of amelia lance um, bless her name forever um, <laughs> and, uh, okay so one pattern that we had had all year was that we had not been very good at starting out saturday mornings of tournaments um, for whatever reason we just had a little trouble like mentally plugging in and getting ready to go at the beginning of a tournament on saturday morning Um, And then, like Asher talked about when he was talking about Nationals in 2018, 2018 Nationals pool play was a breeze, right? We beat teams 15-7, 15-4, and 15-10. We didn't play any close games. And so I think we didn't really expect our pool play at Nationals to be all that challenging. Our first game on Saturday morning was my first game of the season. Um, It was against Franciscan, who was a pretty good team they uh had some pretty big throwers and some pretty big athletes it was a pretty strong upwind downwind game so in frisbee uh it's a lot harder to score going upwind than it is going downwind because um the wind does crazy things to the flight of the disc and throwing it upwind is is more difficult so franciscan um pulled ahead early and then we tied it back up, and then they actually went ahead late. So they were up 10-9, and we were going upwind, and it was a game to 11. So if they had scored going downwind, we would have just lost our first game at Nationals after being the like odds-on favorite to win the whole thing. We put on a line, uh, a group of smaller, um, sort of more technically skilled players, and we dinked and dunked a bunch of short passes up the sideline and scored going upwind, um, which set the stage for us to go downwind, game time, game tied 10-10 going to 11. And Asher got a D on uh, a little upline pass, upset, uh, intercepted a short a short pass. Um, we quickly swung the disc in the middle of the field and went into the end zone and won, um, which was, I think, sort of cathartic to win that game um, despite playing nowhere near as well as we wanted to. Um, It was kind of scary to like show up on Saturday morning, have these like title aspirations and then not play that well. Um, So it felt good to like get that one out of our system. Good news was we won, bad news was we didn't get it out of our system. Our next game was against Hamilton, a team that we were significantly better than. We we should have beaten them like 15-8, but our, our marks, so our defense, our defense on their throwers wasn't good enough, and they were able to get some open deep shots that we couldn't contest. And then we just like sort of slogged our way to a 12-10 victory, despite a lot of squandered opportunities and some pretty sloppy defense. So our first two games, um, we didn't play very well. And I remember thinking, you know, dang, like if we play with this level of energy and this level of like sloppiness against the better teams later in the tournament, we're going to be in some trouble, which was weird because that wasn't something that we had had all that much trouble with um, for most of the year. Our last game of pool play was against Michigan tech. Um, They had one guy that we knew was their biggest thrower. um, So we knew that our, our game plan going into that game was to make sure that it was to try to prevent him from getting the disc we were going to try to make uh, their other, their other guys beat us. We weren't going to let him beat us. It's like a team playing, like, I don't know, like the Lakers and saying, you know, if like all the other Lakers make a bunch of shots, that's fine. But if LeBron James dunks every time, we can't live with that, you know? So um, we threw a variety of different defenders at himself. Ian, who Alex mentioned earlier, Leo, one of our freshmen and myself all took turns guarding him. Um, and we were able to come away with a 14, uh, nine victory. So, a bit more of a a spread than we had had in our first two games. So we won our pool. And like we did the year before, we qualified for the quarterfinal round. One of the major storylines from this weekend in College Station was that it was hot. It was really, really hot um, and really humid as well. All of our games were played on turf and uh, turf has those little like rubber black pellets in it that just absorb heat. Right? So it was like, the, the, weather, the weather app said it was probably, I think, 90 degrees. And it was probably another like 10, 15, 20 degrees hotter than that on the turf. So we were just cooking on that turf all day. And then there was a pre-quarterfinal round that other teams that hadn't done as well were playing in. Bryant was one of those teams. Um, and so we went and watched their game. And I remember sitting and watching that game and seeing both Bryant and the team that they were playing, Colby struggling to complete passes and thinking like, okay, like we are a, cl- a class above these teams, two classes above these teams. And so we went back for another dinner um, at the Lance, the Lance household, again, bless Amelia's name, um, had, a, had a great dinner, um, went to sleep early, and then found out that we were playing Bryant again, um, Sunday morning in the quarterfinals. So, um, we got up Sunday morning, um, and went to the fields. Um, we got there again an hour before the game started for our usual warm Um, we were warming up. Bryant wasn't there. Um, it was sort of the same as, has, ha- had as had happened at regionals. And we were like, what's going on, right? Like it's nationals. Are they going to show up hungover again? Um, <clears throat> and then they showed up, um, maybe 30 or 45 minutes before the game started went through a sort of half-hearted warm-up. We're playing loud rap music. Um, We were like dancing and singing and like wearing crazy stuff. And um, that was actually the most pleasant game of the weekend because it wasn't super hot and it wasn't super windy. Um, And we got on the field and um, our offense didn't turn the disc over until our final offensive point of the game. Um, Our defense turned it over a few times, but not all that many. Um, And we beat them 15 to eight. So not quite the margin that we had at regionals, but still a resounding victory against a team that had once, you know, ended our season and like given us a lot of troubles. Um, And so I think that sort of showed us that even when Bryant was trying hard, even when the stakes were high, even when they weren't hungover we were still just like a class above and they couldn't hang with us, which felt good. Since we beat them so handily, um, we had an opportunity then to go watch our women's team, um, which had also qualified for nationals. Uh, they were locked in a pretty close game against North Park. They, when we got there, they were up 13-12 and we got there in time to watch them lose in the quarterfinals 14-13, which was pretty brutal. I haven't spoken to you guys about this, but in retrospect, I think that we should not have gone and watched that game because it meant that we were standing in the sun, watching them play. And then we had to, we were playing Richmond in the semifinals um, after that. And instead of taking an extra 15 minutes and hydrating and sitting in the shade um, and like refocusing before our next game, we distracted our attention, stood in the sun, um, and then went back to the, f- to, to the next field to play our semifinal, not having had a chance to sort of decompress from our victory, not having had a chance to refocus a little bit hotter, a little bit more dehydrated than we would have been otherwise. Um, Richmond, we knew was going to be a pretty good team. Um, we hadn't played them that year. We had played them the year before and beat them pretty handily, um, but that was a long time ago, so we didn't know how the game would go so we had a couple different defensive strategies that year one of our defensive strategies was to force players deep to force them towards the end zone and gamble that um, our athletic players would be able to make plays on these deep shots that was the strategy that we were playing the most because it worked out well for us we were in a close game with Richmond early, um, both teams were sort of trading blows. Um, and then Kai, one of our bigger playmakers, got his ankle stepped on um, and was in a lot of pain. He kicked a pylon. He was frustrated. and He kicked a pylon um, and got a misconduct, like a yellow card, basically, um, from one of the observers, which it, which are like sort of like referees for Frisbee um, in, these, in these like more, more – Uh, competitive games we then uh, got scored on after a really long point we had most of our better players out there on the field and we got scored on after a really long point Um, so all of our better players were dehydrated and exhausted and and Richmond was ahead so we took a second and refocused and put on a different line um, and managed to score going upwind Despite letting them get ahead, it was 7-7 going into halftime. So the next team that scored was going to take half. And um, I remember we were playing that defense where we pushed them deep, but we wanted to have a person sort of blocking the thrower's path. And that player forgot that it was his responsibility to block the thrower's path. So the thrower threw a perfect deep shot and they scored and went up eight, seven um, and took half eight, seven. And I remember being really frustrated that we had just wasted an opportunity to be ahead going into halftime. Um, We also got another misconduct foul for using foul language for swearing, which is not something that that usually happens when there aren't these observers in games. So it wasn't something that we were accustomed to. And then we managed to come back. We made the game nine, nine and we were on offense. Um, And I threw a big deep shot to Kai who had come back in the second half after getting his ankle stepped on. Um, He made a great catch over two receivers, um, but got the disc knocked out of his hand um, and called a foul. The observer overruled Kai's call, called a foul on Kai, and also gave him a a misconduct foul for making uh, what he considered to be a dangerous play. That was our third misconduct foul, which meant that it gave Richmond the disc on our, basically on our goal line. So it went, it went from us being, having scored and being up 10-9 to 9, to Richmond having the disc on our goal line with the opportunity to score to go up 10-9. They did score, went up 10-9, and I remember being really frustrated because I thought the observer had overstepped his powers as an arbiter of the game and, and also just made a bad call. It was, it was a game to 11 and Richmond was up 10-9, so we were in a pretty tight spot.
2: Um, one, thing, one thing to add, just with all this drama going on, just remember it's like a million degrees and like we've now played like four games that weekend and like heart rates are pumping. We're all sweating, we're all dying. I've never been so stressed in my entire life as what Dylan's about to talk about.
4: <laughs> yeah, this was, this was definitely nerve wracking. This was the first time Alex has talked about this before. This was the first time it really felt like we could lose. And it sucked because it felt like it, it felt like it was sort of out of our control. It felt like the game had been taken from us by like these quasi referees. It also felt like we hadn't played that well and had made some mental mistakes that let Richmond get ahead. So that was like frustrating. And now we had our backs to the wall um, and we didn't know what to do. So we got out there on offense. Again, I threw a deep shot to Asher. Um, who didn't quite come down with it. So Richmond had the disc and a chance to score to go up to go up 11-9 and win the game. They went to swing the disc to the middle, and it, it popped up over the head of their intended receiver. And I was able to catch it uh, in their end zone to score, which it's made – like an
2: immediate pick six. It, it's one of the coolest plays in Frisbee. Which made
4: the score 10-10. We were then – it was universe point, like Asher was saying um, – and they were on offense, so they had the advantage. Also, we were going upwind. So we came out with the same defensive strategy as we had had in the last point, um, where we uh, were pushing their defenders deep, deep, challenging them to make a good throw. Um, and their thrower immediately sent it deep. But this time, we had a help defender um, sort of playing free safety. So we were able to get the disc. Um, we. Threw a few passes, and then one of our handlers, Ian, who Alex has mentioned, cramped. Um, and so one of you're allowed to sub a player in when um, when one of your players is injured. Uh, so I came on the field. We threw a few more passes, and then um, one of our handlers, one of our throwers, Zach, threw an absolute moonshot, like hot, like high, floaty pretty garbage throw um, to uh, one of our receivers Um, and then Kai who had hurt himself early in the game and was not the intended receiver came over the top Randy Moss like snagged it um, and flipped it into another player um, and we won 11-10 and it, it like I'm getting goosebumps right now just like talking about it it was like the most insane moment that I've ever experienced on a field and I've played a lot of frisbee um, it, it sent us to the finals, which had been our goal the whole time. Um, and we, you know, it really looked, really looked like we were going to lose. And it felt like it, I don't know, it was an unbelievable feeling to, to come out on top and have an opportunity to, to continue our season for one more game.
0: And so in that second, last point, when, when you caught the disc, intercepted it and scored all at the same time, what was the energy like on the field? How did the energy change? How did the team react to that moment?
4: Well, so when, we, when I had thrown it to Asher and, and we hadn't connected um, just a, a few seconds before, there was sort of a collective sort of intake of breath from all of our players and everyone on the, everyone, sort of everyone on the field because everyone knew that that turnover meant that Richmond had a chance to win, right? Like if they could just score one more time, that they would win. And so I <clears throat> remember diving for the disc and catching it um and standing up and showing it to the observer so that he could see that I had caught it in the end zone and like like showing it to him and then like celebrating and like punting the disc and sort of blacking out. Um <laughs> like running around a little bit because I was also afraid that we were gonna lose. Um and so like getting that disc back and scoring like felt great. But then it also meant but then I also had to like refocus quickly because we had to score the next point, right? Like it didn't matter if Richmond scored the next if, if That didn't matter if Richmond were to score the next point. So we quickly refocused and like processed how, like discussed our strategy for the next point. And one of my memories of this point is that the turnover happened really quickly. The Richmond guy just like sort of caught it, saw saw Cutter going deep and threw it, right? Like didn't think about it. Didn't look, it sort of seemed like a, like a glitch. And so, so I don't know. I, I sort of feel, feel lucky that we got the disc again on, on that point. I also, like, cannot believe the throw that Zach made. It was just, like, like <laughs> such, such a crazy decision, such a crazy throw. And then so, also just so crazy that it worked out for us because a receiver that wasn't his intended target made the catch of a lifetime going over, like, four people and then, like, flipped it in for us to win is like just
0: bonkers. That's just insane. yeah. And unfortunately, I, I I think that the semifinals weren't um, streamed, were they?
4: It wasn't It wasn't filmed, no. But that catch is on is on camera from a, a couple of different camera angles. That that catch and also my catch, the point before, is on camera. That someone filmed the last couple of points. So okay,
0: but and, was and finals was streamed though. The
4: finals was streamed, yes. One of the things that I I've been thinking about um, that is pretty crazy about this phase of the tournament is that like one game ends and then another game starts and there's like a ten minute gap between games, right? Like you don't have any time to like like rehydrate or like refocus or anything. You need to just like jump right into the next game, which is why I feel like we should we would have been better served to take the time before the semifinals to like like reset rather than going and doing something else but that's neither here nor there so we like walked over to the field that the finals were going to be on and i remember as, as soon as i stepped onto the the usa ultimate coordinator of the tournament came up to me and was like i need to talk to you and i was like okay like what's this gonna be and he was like no sexual cheers no stripping everyone needs to be wearing exactly the same uniform that kid with the tighty-whities over there and to take them <laughs> off. And I was like, okay, man, like, listen, like, whatever you say, sure, like, we'll live with it. And then he came over and was like, he was like, okay, Air Force wants to be, uh, wants to be dark. They want to wear their blacks uh, or, or navy blues or whatever, which would have been great for us. Because like we've said, it was like a million degrees and not wearing dark jerseys, wearing light jerseys would have been fantastic. But... One of our players forgot his jersey going to the tournament, which hadn't mattered up until that weekend because like, you can sort of wear whatever you want in the games that aren't on camera. But now we're being filmed and one of our players doesn't have his white jersey. So we have to wear our black jerseys in the like 110 degree heat um, and Air Force starts wearing their whites, whatever.
2: Our darks are iconic though.
4: They are great, but also I, I, I would have preferred to wear white. Whatever, it doesn't, matter. it doesn't matter. So we're playing Air Force, right? We lost to them in the finals the year before. We beat them earlier that season in a really close game. Um, I had been hurt for that game, but I had played I played on, a, on an adult men's team with uh, Alan Villanueva, Air Force's best player, the summer before. So he and I know each other well, um, have guarded each other a lot at practice and things like that. Um, So, like, there's a lot of, like, there's a lot of history between these two teams at this point, right? We both know each other pretty well. We know what they want to do. Specifically, we know that we knew going into that game that they had two players that they wanted to have the disc a lot. Alan Villanueva and another guy, Noah Chun-Moy, were their two best throwers. And so our game plan in that game was that we were going to basically try to – get Allen to throw the disc to someone else, get the, get their best players to throw the disc to someone else, and then push their other players away from the disc and challenge their less talented players to beat us, right? We were betting that if we if we limited Allen Villanueva and Noah Chun-Moy, that we would be able to win that game. We started the game by scoring on defense, which is called a break We went up 2-1 before they quickly hit back a couple of times and went up 4-2. Then we hit back and tied the game at 4-4. And our game plan was working. They were turning the disc over a lot. But then at 4-4, both teams sort of settled in. It went from 4-4 to 8-7 halftime, and neither team's defense scored a single time. Um, This guy on Air Force, Ted Jancher, um, who was not really on our radar, was just like playing out of his mind, shooting from the hip and dropping dime after dime after dime, which was like not something we had gambled on, right? Like we had assumed that if Allen Villanueva was not throwing the disc, that we would be generating turnovers. And then this guy, this guy, Ted, is just 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 throwing absolute missile strikes down the field. And we like are confused about what's happening. So at halftime, we decided to switch up our defensive strategy Um, We decided that instead of pushing them deep, we were going to push them uh, back towards the disc and deny them the easy deep shots. Initially, it wasn't working. Still, neither team's defense could score until 10-10. So there were 12 points in a row where the offense scored, which is a lot, right? And then finally, they started to crack. I think their top-end talent was less deep than ours was. And so they were getting tired and starting to cramp in this unbelievable heat and we were able to to break them three times in a row to go up 13 to 10 which should have been 14 to 10 but one of their players made some made some pretty questionable travel calls and so they scored to make it 13 11 then they hit us back made some more questionable travel calls and ended up going up 14 or excuse me not going up but they scored to make it 13 to 12 um, and then we really had to slog through our next offensive point, but we punched it in um, and made it 14 to 12 in in a game to 15. So we figured if they were to, if they were to score their offensive point, then that we would then have two more chances to win it. Right. 14, 13 and 14, 14. And so we put on a line without some of our better players um, thinking that we would be able to sort of, Uh, rest them a little bit to win on the next point. We got a turnover and then turned it over again and then got another turnover. um, And one of our players threw a big shot up to Asher who missed it. uh, But one of our players was following the play, caught the disc uh, and then flipped it into another one of our players. uh, Neither of whom were like really high on our rotations, but they were fresh and on the field and that is like because we were a deeper team and a, a more top to bottom talented team than Air Force was. That was the difference in the game. So we scored that point and and won and won the title.
0: Who were those? Who were those two players? The one that read the play and caught it, and then the one that he dished it to in the end zone.
4: Yeah. So it was uh, Bjar, who was the kid that had spiked it outside of the end zone. Um, it was Hugh Jass, if you will. Um, <laughs> it outside of the end zone um, and then he flipped it into Van Lundsgaard who Alex was talking a little bit about earlier and there's a, a phenomenal picture of Ale of uh, Asher holding Van like by the <laughs> neck kind of um, and Van holding up the disc right after he scored to win um, that also that moment also gives me goosebumps um, that is it was such a like cathartic moment and like validating of all the work that we put in and the culture that we had built and like everything that we've discussed so far in this, in this call. And I don't know, I'm really proud of that moment um, because it wasn't like these, like these players that have, you know, played at the international level and like have played for a long time and like get stuff written about them or whatever. Like that wasn't what the team was all year and that wasn't how the game ended. It was these players that were further down on our depth chart making big plays to, to carry us to the top.
3: It's funny if you go back and the, the whole game's on YouTube. And if you go back to the moment that we won, the commentator's like quiet for a little bit. And he's like, well, well that's, that was anticlimactic. <laughs> <laughs> it did not feel like it. It did not feel like it. Oh man. It was, I mean. It was a climax. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. The commentators probably wanted like a deep shot from Dylan to Kai, and Kai like lays out yeah. over three people. But yeah. instead, it was you know our our solid you know like lower on the roster guys who, you know, or were there and and they were there the whole season. Like yeah. Were saying yeah. Uh, so it was it was a great way to uh, finish and uh, yeah,
4: very proud of them.
1: Sounds like an awesome end to a uh, an amazing journey.
4: It was. Yeah, it was, um, it, was, it was unbelievable. It was really,
2: really amazing. There was a lot of like sunburn, crying, like smiling, laughing, hugging. Like it, probably like the most emotionally satisfying few minutes of my life right following that game. Just like a, a lot of just like we did it and just like love and like kisses and like just nothing else like
1: that. Did you guys have another dinner at uh, Mama Lance's? No, everyone
4: had flights, flights out that night. Um, so we actually, everyone had flights out that night except for the players because we uh, were flying budget airline, spirit airlines. We had a 6 a.m. flight the next morning.
1: Mm-hmm.
4: Um, so we drove to Dallas, which was like a three-hour drive. We were thinking about celebrating in the hotel room, but everyone had heat poisoning, like exhaust. You, we right? bought beer thinking that we would have a party in the hotel and then didn't drink it because nobody could stay awake and like everyone was dehydrated. And so we ended up leaving like a ton of of like cheap beer in the hotel when we flew out <laughs> the next morning. We ate I remember we ate a bunch of Mexican food and then went home. That was that was what we did.
3: Did you guys
1: celebrate when you went back?
4: Yeah, oh yeah. Um well,
3: keep in mind that this tournament is smack dead in the middle of our finals week, so like finals was like Wednesday to Tuesday yeah. and like this tournament happened yeah. days every year, the weekend in right in the middle there. So some of us were able to have a great time and, and have a celebration and others maybe stayed up most of the night doing physics. So
4: <laughs> yeah, so we went back to Middlebury and got back at, we got back at like 5 p.m. on Monday night. Um, and Asher had a big physics project that needed to get done. Um, and so he like went and did his physics project, but we had a celebration that night most of us had a celebration that night. I remember the women's team gifted us like five bottles of champagne or something like that. Um, We drank two of them and then took the other three and crammed like 20 guys into our like tiny bathroom and had a champagne shower in the bathroom. Like you see uh, like in baseball locker rooms after they like win or whatever.
1: That's cool. Yeah, yeah. Hey, uh, Dylan, I, 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 I'd be remiss if I didn't ask you, and I think I know the spelling, but it's H-U-G-H space what? J-A-S-S?
4: Yep, yep, J-A-S-S. <laughs> I, have a, I have another story along those lines, um, which is that we, um, we had been sort of joking all year about, like uh, – well, okay, I'll, I'll tell the story a different way. Um, I, I – Our Jersey manufacturers were doing a a profile on us before we went to nationals, and they emailed me and asked me um, like a series of questions which I responded to. One of the questions was, what is your team mantra or ethos? And so I uh, told them that our team mantra or ethos was love, intellect, grit, maturation, and accomplish, which uh, if if you take the first letter of each of those, uh, spells ligma, <laughs> so I uh, yeah they so they printed in their article that Middlebury's mantra is <laughs> it's it's, like,
0: it's still, still online. online the article. Yeah. yeah, ligma. <laughs> oh my
1: gosh! No, it, it sounds like you guys left a, uh, a an awesome team. I mean. Th- Losing you guys obviously was going to hurt the team going into the 2020 season, but it sounded like they were set up to uh, have a really good season this year. Talk about the uh, the team you guys left behind and, uh, and how this pandemic has affected everybody.
3: Um, I can start there because I was... So I, I graduated actually this past February um, because I started in February. So I was here this past fall. And a little bit of the vibe of the team. Um, I think it's hard for any team to win a national championship and then come back and try and do it again. Um, and there was definitely that nervousness in the air. Um, but I think, uh, you know, the, the team lost a couple, uh, like a few good players. Um, but they still have a lot of talent, particularly the underclassmen, um, are, you know, the year that we won nationals were phenomenal compared to uh, like any other team probably. And so, um, uh, I would say uh players like Leo Sola Fernandez, uh he was a freshman in twenty nineteen and he was a sophomore this year. Uh Walker Frankenberg, uh young guy. Um, both of those players were really just up and coming, only only had room to grow. Um and so it's it's tough to make any calls on like how they would do uh you know, how they would have done this season. Um but I think easily they would have made nationals and easily made it to the semis or quarters at least um but they probably could have won it all to be honest it, it's hard to
4: tell that one one thing to keep in mind um is that so i'm a, I'm a big nba fan right so i'm going to use that as an example for what i'm about to say um every year right there are 30 teams in the nba and only one wins a championship um and like the other teams in the end a lot of those other teams have great seasons and they end early they end like at the end of the regular season, in the first round of the playoffs, second round of the playoffs, whatever. They have phenomenal seasons, but they don't result in a championship. Um, I, don't, I don't know how many D3 Frisbee teams there are in the country. I don't know how many Frisbee teams there are in the country. But, like, winning a championship in anything is really hard um, because all it takes is, like, one slip-up, right? Like if, like, if Kai hadn't made that catch against, against Richmond, right, like something like that, you, you know, you lose focus for 30 minutes or whatever, and then all of a sudden your season can be gone. Um, so, like, you can have a phenomenal season and be a phenomenal team and not have that result in a national championship. Um, and so what, what, what I was thinking when Asher was talking about this year's Middlebury team is that I'm, I am sure that they were about to have an amazing season, right, like a fantastic season. They were going to be a really good team. Um, whether that resulted in a national championship, you know, who knows? We'll never know now. Um, But that's not to say that they weren't going to have a phenomenal season because they were going to.
3: Mm. And something I'd like to add also to give more credit to Dylan is that uh, uh, Dylan's – like last year was – well, he's a very experienced player with lots of Frisbee knowledge, lots of like understanding of how the game works and, you know, just a generally smart dude. And I think that – I think losing Dylan as a coaching presence uh, was probably the – toughest loss from last year to this year i i think that that was one thing that this team had to reconcile with and will have to reconcile with next year uh who's going to take up like a more coaching tactical role
0: yeah it's really it's really tough for all the uh, especially the seniors um i mean everybody's losing basically a season of team growth and team bonding but the, the, those that would have had um, a senior year this year um aren't aren't really getting it and that's not just happening in frisbee it's happening all over you know the country everybody who happens to be graduating in 2020 are there any seniors that are graduating this year that aren't getting that last season that you guys want to shout out that aren't aren't going to be able to play
4: yeah so i guess i'll start um there are, i think are there four seniors this year does that sound right guys yeah um so two of them are are guys that have given a lot to the team. Um, Edward and Aiden, who Alex mentioned earlier, really important parts of the team. Um, they're both graduating and they, you know, they will be missed. Um, they, like I said, gave a lot to the team both on and off the field and spent a lot of time with the team and sort of like are goofy and quirky and lovable and, um, you know, amazing guys. And it'll be tough for the team to lose them. Um, Zach and Kai were the two uh, seniors, senior captains this year, I should say. Um, Kai is actually planning on taking the fall off. So he'll be back in the spring um, and he will play. Assuming that Frisbee season happens next spring, he will be playing on the Middlebury Franksters in the spring. Um, Zach Levitt um, may also be doing that. Um, Wow it is he doesn't know yet it's it's sort of for him it's contingent on whether school is online or in person in the fall mm-hmm. um if it's online then he would take the semester off so that he could finish up in person in the spring um so yeah
2: I think there's also Magnus uh is another senior and I I would assume that he has missed his his chance at a, at a last college frisbee season I, I assume he's not coming back to to do more but he also an incredible part of the culture and like an incredible guy. and i I guess just like putting it in perspective, like when I heard that college frisbee wouldn't happen this year, like great from a public health perspective, but like I was devastated for my teammates and former teammates and and friends. like like i've I think I've said like this was one of the most emotional and amazing experiences of my life that the twenty nineteen like postseason and whole whole season and for my friends to not get that for themselves, like their senior year, and for just the the whole 2020 team to not, you know, to sort of everything get cut off before it had even started. Uh, I couldn't imagine that. But I think that probably the number one thing that will last about Middlebury Frisbee for all of us who have gone through it is the friendships. And so at least missing like three months of on the field time, like it's not the end of the world. And like I'm just thankful like they have the relationships and uh Hopefully, like, I think it's harder to find amazingly satisfying frisbee experiences as you become an older adult, but you can still find them and you can still make spaces where you have meaningful relationships and on field accomplishments. And I'm, I'm hoping maybe that this pushes more people to be like, I'm not done with frisbee yet. I'm going to find a space where it's, it's rewarding for me.
0: Mm-hmm.
4: Yeah, speaking a little bit more to what Alex was saying about the friendships aspect, I know that the team sort of, I mean, they feel like they got ripped off out of, like, you know, three months together. Um, And as a result, they've been doing, like, Zoom calls and setting up, like, team hangouts um, and stuff like that. Like, they've been staying in touch and doing, like, the Zoom calls, as you would imagine, are, like, crazy. Like, people doing crazy stuff and, like, like changing their... Asher and I were on one, and the whole Zoom call was people taking screenshots of other people and making it their Zoom backgrounds. So it like it'd be like me, Asher, like Daniel, Paul, Alex, like all around floating around in the screen. Yeah. It was just, like, ridiculous, right? And, like, it was, it was great to, ha- like, talk to those people and also see that they're just, like, still hanging out and doing goofy stuff together even though – and, like, creating those relationships and enjoying those
0: relationships even though they can't be together in person. Yeah, it sounds like they're making the most of it.
1: Yeah, it, it's, it's cool that they get to uh, be together. And, obviously, we can't uh, unwind history, but it, it's a bummer that they couldn't play this season. Here's hope in 2021 uh, pulls another uh, national championship to uh, Middlebury. Thank you. So uh,
0: there's a question that uh, there are a couple more things before we wrap this up. There's a question that Paul and I like to ask all our guests and we would be remiss if we didn't ask you guys as is tradition. So um, we'll just go through each one of you. It's a pretty short question. Uh, It's basically pretty much at your current point in life, or let's say 25 years old, give or take a couple of years, would you rather sign up for the military or take a crack at Kickstarting a career in stand-up comedy for six months.
3: How long do you have to be in the military?
0: All right. So the parameters that we put on it is is four years of service, and it may include a deployment, but it may not. You know, you accept that risk when you sign up.
1: Hey, Asher, if you if you've ever met uh, Daniel's friend Sarah Wall, she found a loophole in this question.
3: Oh, I listened to that podcast
1: actually. Yeah.
2: <laughs> well, regardless, I think of stipulations. I'm just going to send the stand-up comedy career because. I'm at a point in my life where that's not that far from, like, what, like, I don't know. There's not a lot of direction right now, and uh, the military is not my direction, so I would love to just go try to stand on a stage and entertain people and have that be the plan. I'm down.
0: I think that you'd actually be really good at it, Forty. I think you're eloquent, and you speak well, and you have a, a dry sense of humor that's like pretty, like, cleverly hidden, so I think, I think it would be great if you gave it a shot.
2: Oh thanks, man. Yeah, and if I don't do that, then I'll just go join the military. So it's
0: a win.
3: <laughs> I'm gonna have to also go with the uh the stand-up comedy um route. I, I think that uh this question maybe gets into some tricky areas about like the you know, the military industrial complex and, and whether <laughs> like, I want to be an active supporter of that. Uh I mean you're asking a, a bunch of kids college kids you went to liberal northeast college um i i yeah so and i i do i listen to daniel's question uh, answer to this question so i like i guess i'm cheating a little bit but my sort of answer is very similar to uh his in the in the sense that I, i like the idea of putting myself out there and um uh doing something that's very uncomfortable and out of my comfort zone till for the sake of doing that and and just getting better at like not being comfortable and and dealing with that. Yeah.
4: I uh to be honest, don't like the idea of doing either very much. Um <laughs> but I think that um the risk of being deployed and then getting shot and killed is not one that I'm willing to take, so I'm going to go with stand up comedy also.
0: They have three comedians. Yeah. <laughs> Great. Yeah, I think if I had to bet, uh, I would have bet on, on all three of you saying that. Actually, Dylan, I could have seen either way. But the other – yeah, because I think, Dylan, I think you'd get a kick out of, like, uh, upper management in the Army, you know, making things work. That sounds
4: nice. Maybe I'll reconsider if I can hide behind the lines and just boss people around. <laughs> I,
1: I had some preconceived notions coming into this uh, call and asked Daniel, do we even need to ask the question? Yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Oh man. Well, we have to. And uh, I mean, I think it's great because neither option is really super um, appealing to a lot of people. So it kind of forces you to think about, you know, which is the the route that you'd rather take. Um, Cool. So let's close with uh, and Alex or 40, you already alluded to this, but let's close with where you all are headed in life, where you are right now. You've all graduated now, career, more school, your future, uh, anything of that sort.
2: Um, I am living in Philadelphia. I uh, moved here about a year ago, like after, after I graduated college, to work as a psychology research coordinator at Drexel University. And I stayed there about eight months. Uh, and I, I moved on from that position, like right before the pandemic kind of got underway. And so that experience kind of taught me that I, I didn't want to be in an environment like that right now, like a research environment. Um, A sort of academic psychology environment. Um, But then everything got put somewhat on hold with COVID. And so I'm, uh, I'm just kind of not sure, um, you know, what I want to do. And uh, I think with everything being remote right now, I think there are, there are like good opportunities to volunteer. And I think like, there are things you can do now to like make the world a better place. But in terms of like, starting a career with sort of remote onboarding, and like, the economy shrinking, it's just all very weird. And so I'm I'm probably more into Frisbee than I've been at any time, except for like Nationals a year ago. Um, so I'm really thinking like I want to make a run at being a good player in my 20s and play some adult club and I'll figure out the career stuff. But on a day-to-day quarantined basis, I've, I've thought a lot about working out and uh, exploring the jobs on the internet and stuff.
3: Nice. Um, yeah, yeah, I think, yeah, you've caught us all kind of in a weird time in our lives in this like COVID thing. Um, uh, me personally, I so I graduated this February, as I said. I was a physics major, and uh, I took some time off and did a road trip for about two months, just uh, alone in a car, driving between you know people I knew in different parts of the West, uh, seeing a lot of cool sites. And now I'm shooting out job applications left and right, Uh, hopefully intending to do something related to physics, but I also uh, am interested in in computer science, uh, so looking at software development jobs. And then a little longer term goal is to end up at physics grad school somewhere doing a a PhD program. So if anyone's listening to this, he wants to hire someone with specialties in quantum computing, I'm I'm your guy. (laughs) I'm good at physics and
0: computer science. (laughs) (laughs) I'm keeping my ear to the ground for you, dude. I I promise. What? I'm keeping my I'm keeping my ear to the ground. Thank you. Uh, I'll let you know as soon as I hear anything. Dylan, what's up?
4: Yeah. So my position is, I guess, a little bit more stable than these guys. Um, I graduated when Alex graduated in May. Um, I was applying to law schools. I have committed to the University of Chicago's law school. I was initially going to start in like September, like I guess seven months ago. Yeah, last year, last fall. But I, at the last minute decided not to do that um, and just to take a year off um, and like travel a little bit um, and explore a little bit before I started my next um, big chunk of school. Um, So I, worked some odd jobs, um, traveled a little bit in the summer. I was in New Zealand for a month and a half um, in like February, and I'm scheduled to start law school in September, hopefully in person in Chicago. And if not, I guess uh, I'll be getting really familiar with the Zoom software.
0: And what kind of law uh, are you interested in?
4: Um, I am interested in doing Public interest, specifically criminal law. Um, so, there um, are a number of uh, really phenomenal books on the subject, but um, the one that I'll recommend that made me think most seriously about doing this is called Just Mercy. It's a book by Brian Stevenson. Um, if you haven't read it, you should read it. It's phenomenal, even if you're not interested in the law. Um, it's about the death penalty and uh, Brian Stevenson's work as an advocate. Um, for abolishing death penalty and also working with, with inmates on death row. Um, there's a lot of really uh, incredible values in America's criminal justice system, but there's also a lot that's broken right now. And I want to work in that system to try to fix it.
0: That's very admirable, man. And we'll take that recommendation.
1: I actually wrote it down and I'm uh, borderline illiterate. <laughs> <laughs> Hey, guys, th- it was great talking to you tonight. We uh, loved hearing your story. Amazing, fun, uh, awesome journey. You guys uh, were on for a couple of seasons. So uh, thanks for uh, spending time with us and thanks for sharing that story. Thanks yeah, thanks so much, thanks so
4: much you, so you
0: so guys. Much. If you enjoyed this episode, come find us on Facebook or Instagram and let us know what you think. We'd love to connect. Thanks for listening.